0: Orville
1: Roach. Welcome back, folks, live, Roach on Recovery.
2: Welcome. Welcome, indeed. After a week off.
1: Uh, This is your host, Orville Roach. Should
2: I say, uh, bienvenido.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Along with my producer and co-host, Chris Morales. 646-564-9909. 646-564-9909 is the number... If you want want to call in and speak to us, you can listen to our show live on our show website. That's BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash OCG Radio. BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash OCG Radio, and you can also listen if you need to by calling in on the call in line
2: or any way you can get in and listen. Make it happen. Satellite. Exactly and uh, that's uh, foil, foil, uh,
1: foil and foil antennas, whatever whatever uh, you gotta
2: do. S, like smoke signals, SOS there you uh, we will try and respond to it and follow us if you would please do us the favor and follow us.
1: On our show page.
2: Not our Facebook on page. On the show I page. I mean follow
1: us on our Facebook page, yes, but you know we want some followers on the show page. Exactly. The more followers we get on the show page, the more they figure uh feature the show prominently. That's that's the catch. Um so we're back live. Uh let's go into our recap. So last week we had a little bit of technical difficulties.
2: There were some technical difficulties with our uh our um
1: replay which happens or you know, it's set up automatically to replay and um it started and I guess there was when we when we checked in on it, there was a minute 30 or whatever, how long it was, delay um, before the replay started playing. So we looked into it and um, did some investigation to see uh, who was and what department was responsible.
2: The jury's still out. Some believe it was production. Some believe it was entertainment side of things.
1: And But that's true. We don't know if it was in entertainment or production, but we do know that the Guilty Party has an R in their first name and an R in their last name.
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: Yes. We've narrowed it down to that. <laughs>
2: that's exactly right.
1: Um, but anyway, we hope uh, those who are listening in did enjoy it. But we are back live today. Today is Cinco de Mayo. De and Mayo, huh? Cinco de Mayo. Am de. I de.
2: Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo. There you
1: go. Even though it's spelled D E. That's right. So it, I'm just phonetically Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> All right. Now, I must say, when I first came to California, and um, this. It's Cinco de Mayo, Cinco de Mayo is a holiday here in the so let's say the western part of the country,
2: pretty much. Sure, and anywhere where there's a large Latino contingent, Chicago, it's celebrated in Chicago because they have a large Latino okay. population.
1: Okay. Um, never heard of it on the eastern seaboard back in the day, right. but who knows now? Who knows now? Um, but so when I came out to California and. Experienced the uh, first uh, Cinco de Mayo. Um, didn't know anything about it. Didn't know what for, and didn't even know what it, it stood for until someone said it means the fifth of May. Um, so, as a part of our show today, a little bit of holiday history, we're going to have our co-host, Mr. Chris Morales. There you go. Uh, give us a little uh, history on the Cinco de Mayo holiday.
2: Indeed. So i um I thought about how much I might add in or or how much I might leave out so as not to bore people, and I figured I could sum up what Cinco de Mayo means in one line, the fifth of May, <laughs> and we can move on, <laughs> moving <laughs> right along so uh no okay, so it is uh like you said, so it's celebrated in the u s and it's celebrated in Mexico more specifically in Mexico it's uh celebrated in the state of Pueblo where it's actually known as the Dia de la Batea de Puebla. Why? just
1: there, if I may ask.
2: So, and I'll get to that when I'm talking about the history, but that was the state of Mexico in that region where they were able to withhold the French invasion who were trying to get to Mexico City and take over, Okay. so to speak. So, um The first uh, misnomer to get out of the way here where a lot of people who aren't super familiar with Cinco de Mayo is that it's actually not the Mexican Independence Day. Um, A lot of people, um, again, who don't know about the holiday intimately believe it's similar to our July 4th, -hmm. uh, which it is not. Um, The Independence Day for Mexico is actually September 16th, which is the biggest holiday celebrated in Mexico. Uh, So the roots of this holiday, again, um, come in the form of the French occupation of Mexico, which took place after the Mexican-American War of 1846 and the Reform War of 1858. The Reform War was a civil war in Mexico, fought between the liberals and conservatives. And the big dispute there was the liberals were um, big on freedom of religion and the separation of church and state while the conservatives very much wanted the Roman Catholic Church and the state to be uniform and united. Um, So the result of that war, long story short, left the treasury of Mexico bankrupt. As a result, um, on July 17th, I believe, 1861, um, the Mexican president at the time, Benito Juarez, made a statement to the world that uh, all payments that were owed to... uh, but we need them now. <laughs> all payments that were owed to foreign uh, uh, foreign debt. Uh, oh, will oh, we'll be delayed. We'll be delayed, exactly. <laughs> uh, we're going to be delayed for two years, actually. This was uh, the moratorium that he delivered. Um, all foreign debt payments were going to be suspended for two years. So as um, people might expect upon that announcement, uh, in came the naval forces of actually three countries. We had the Spanish, Britain, and the French um the, a pre-
1: a precursor to the to today's collection <laughs> that's <laughs>
2: exact, that's exactly right so um Britain and Spain actually negotiated with Mexico they were happy with the negotiations and they withdrew France however was not so happy with whatever deal had uh hit the table uh they said that's not good enough you know if we're now going to invade mm-hmm. so um the french army can i just can I just
1: add a little uh geographical picture so sure the countries that wanted to come and invade had to come a long way that's
2: a long to way to there. send your naval forces exactly. yeah you're 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 sailing quite a long way um france at the time was ruled by napoleon iii mm-hmm. um and so he wanted he was not okay with the negotiation so they stormed Veracruz, which is a coastal town mm-hmm. they overtook Veracruz on their way to mexico city where they were going to take over and install a government that was going to benefit their interests. Mm -hmm. Um, And so upon making their way to Mexico City, they faced a resistance from a Mexican army in the state of Pueblo. Mm -hmm. And um, it should be noted that the French had about 6,000 soldiers at the time that were invading, and the Mexicans about 2,000 soldiers in that area very underarmed, and at that time in that year, that that time in history, the French army was considered to be one of the best armies in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so heavy underdogs, if you will, um, the Mexican army was actually able to defeat the French army in Pueblo on the 5th day of May in 1862, I believe. I have the note here, yeah, 1862. Um, And so... That was that. The the French were taken over. Um, they lost that war, so that's why we celebrate that day. That victory for Mexico in general, though, was very short lived. Uh, about a year later, Napoleon the Third said enough shenanigans, and he sent thirty thousand soldiers. <laughs> and uh, yeah, eventually they they did. They were able to invade and they took over and actually ruled Mexico for three years, um, but only three years. So their victory was also Mm -hmm. short-lived. It was at about that time that the United States uh, Civil War was ending. Mm -hmm. And um, once the Civil War had officially ended, the United States started to give Mexico political um, help as well as military help to try and dispel the French. Mm -hmm. Um, And Napoleon III had some decisions to make. There was the threat of the War of Prussia that was going on at the time
1: and hold your thought just to just add some more intrigue into mm-hmm. it that the French was also remember during the civil war assisting the uh the the union side right against the confederacy right so they were trying to do multiple things on multiple right. fronts right and
2: could have been a consequence to the US as well they had that in mind that mm-hmm. maybe they just want to be in Mexico to be able to infiltrate a little easier mm-hmm. not just by water and or air but by land as well if need be mm-hmm. um so anyway um so, for those three years, the French installed a leader maximilian I um and so yeah, so with Napoleon had a decision to make with the threat of the war of Prussia and um also a heavy resistance from uh Mexican guerrilla um folks that were you know battling the whole time mm-hmm. and then now that the u s was becoming involved a potential scrap with the u s um he made the decision to call off. The French in retreat mm-hmm. out of Mexico uh, in eighteen sixty six I believe, and so they retreated. Maximilian was captured during the retreat, and uh they did what they went ahead and did with him publicly, as well as some of the uh, Mexican officials that he had employed to to help him mm-hmm. um, the traitors the traitors, if you will and so that was that um that's that's why Cinco de Mayo is celebrated one note of importance besides two kind of significant things we can take from this battle, which is why it was such a big deal, was that again, the Mexican army was heavily undermanned, heavily mm-hmm. underarmed, and not supposed to even win that battle that took place there. Um, and since the Battle of uh, Pueblo, no country in the Americas has ever been invaded from European military force from that mm-hmm. day forward. So, two two significant points there at the end. And there you have it.
1: So this is the reason why we celebrate May 5th. Cinco de Mayo. Okay.
2: Let's celebrate.
1: And if I understand correctly, tomorrow is Cinco de Cis?
2: That's (laughs) exactly right. That's exactly right.
1: All right. Uh, We also had last week the NFL Draft.
2: That's a big deal, the NFL draft, and in fact, I've been waiting for this for quite some time just to play this sound <laughs> I mean,
3: I'm
2: going to tell you what, just hearing that, I'm already thinking about September. It's September to me right now. The yep. game is coming on.
1: My daughter said, I thought the
2: football season was over. Just just getting started. No, no. The NFL has done a great job of marketing and making sure there are events scattered throughout the calendar year.
1: Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, you're a Niner fan. Uh, Any news out of Niner camp, anything, any splash? Your opinion of the draft, scale of 1 to 10 in terms of your team?
2: Uh, I've got to say in terms of our needs or what what I believe our needs to be um, with all of the departures that took place, you know I'd instead of one to ten we'll scale it on like a school grading scale. I'd give us like a c plus okay uh so I mean that would be like a seven and a half okay or a seven point eight um you never know. You never know. When we drafted Alden Smith in the first round three or four years ago, whenever that was, no one knew who Alden mm-hmm. Smith was, defensive end out of Missouri. What are you wasting the first round pick on him for? We didn't know he was going to be an alcoholic. We yeah, right? We didn't know he was going to be flipping cars in residential neighborhoods, smoking, smoking weed, <laughs> getting arrested at airports. He ended up being spectacular. So I think you and I were chatting a little before the show, and like you said, with as with any. And by the draft, way,
1: we're serious. These are all things that he's. Yeah, he's these are all things for. that he's
2: done. Um time will tell yeah. time will tell but as far as what the scouts believe and the scouting reports on the players drafted and the positions drafted as a 49er fan I am less than overwhelmed by our draft at at the very least you typically the general rule of thumb in the NFL is your first round pick is a starter right and that is our first round pick will not be a starter but, again, we had, because of the trade, we were able to have the second or third most picks in the draft. We've done that for, like, four years running now. They also today signed seven undrafted players. Okay. So they're still trying to make moves, but oh, I'm, not overwhelmed. I can't say the same about your Cowboys. How are you feeling about their draft? Well,
1: before I get to them, let's get to the Jets, who I think uh, made out.
2: Look out on that defense. Look out. The New York Jets.
1: Uh, who may end up having the best defense in all of the NFL and the best defensive line. Um, so I'm happy about that. Uh, I'm underwhelmed by the New York Giants and how they did in their draft.
2: Didn't um, hear too much about them.
1: No, and um, I'm pleased with the Cowboys, what they did. They tried to fill their needs, not make a splash, and just you know build on the defensive side. So we'll see what happens.
2: And so. to be said about the Cowboys, for what it's worth their first couple of picks are players that were highly touted by the scouts and the uh, Mel Kuyper Jr. and McShay and Mm -hmm. all these people. Um, They got very good value for their picks. Their Mm -hmm. first-round cornerback just blew the combine out of the water with his athleticism and, of course, um the not so maybe popular pick but your second round pick was supposed to be uh, also
1: a top a 10 talent. also loves loves the weed.
2: He's all, he's Alden Smith in the making. He'll he'll have some arrests, but he'll also lead the league in sacks, you know. <laughs> so, so we'll see. Yeah, we will we will see, but uh you know, as much as I hate to say it, I I believe your Cowboys made had some wins there.
1: All right, so we're going on, we're continuing on a sports theme because, whether you know it or not, this was an actually very rare sports uh, weekend. So we had the NFL Draft, which we talked about. Indeed. Uh, Then we had the Kentucky Derby. That's right. And, of course, I texted you that affirmed one, but that was just harking back to 1978. Uh, We'll see if the horse that did win American Pharaoh that's right, will win the Preakness and then go on to the Test of All Tests, Belmont Stakes.
2: That's right. There's I'm not a too big into following horse races, but from what I understand, the people in that community publicly on ESPN are saying they need a Triple Crown winner to yep. to revitalize the haven't had sport one since and, 1978.
1: Yeah. So, and then of course Saturday night. Well, let's see, before we get to the fight, uh, NHL hockey. <laughs> Who cares? Well, I do because the Rangers are playing.
2: Nobody cares. And yeah, the New York, New York the Rangers, Rangers are playing. They're doing well.
1: They won on Saturday but lost on Sunday.
2: Um, all right, let's get to the fight real quick. Um,
1: Did you have a pre-fight pick?
2: So, sure, yeah, but it depends in which context. I told everybody if I had to bet my bank account on it, I would bet on Mayweather, but I was rooting for Pacquiao. Okay. All right. Um, but, yeah, you can't, I don't know, Mayweather, and I've watched a fair amount of boxing, maybe not as much as you or as much as some folks, but as far as the tactical approach to boxing as a sport, mm-hmm. I've not ever seen anyone as good as Mayweather. Mm-hmm. He He does... Exactly enough to win a round, and he does the math in his head, 12 rounds. He wins enough rounds, he wins over six, he's going to win the fight. Mm -hmm. He doesn't take a lot of damage, which I think has led him to be able to fight 48 times, Mm -hmm. Um, and he he said before the fight, for any of you guys out there who ordered the fight on pay-per-view and were watching some of the build-up to it, because they start televising at three the background Mm -hmm. stories of whoever... Mayweather said his dad, who had trained him since a little boy, told him to put the ego aside and everyone who wants to throw heavy punches and knock people out and taught him that if you don't get hit, you can't lose a fight. You'll never lose if you don't get hit. Mm -hmm. And so his whole approach to boxing growing up and to this day has been defense. Mm -hmm. Just don't let him hit you, slip punches, Mm -hmm. bob and weave, and um, he does that better than anybody, and that's why he wins.
1: Well, I was picking uh Payweather over Maciano. Okay,
2: all right. <laughs> all right.
1: Um, I didn't give a rat's ass who won. Um but uh I, I would I did like to see Floyd say undefeated. Because okay. as you know, currently there there's only two undefeated fighters in history.
2: Rocky Marciano and him.
1: And he has no interest in passing um Marciano, he said. So
2: yeah, um, he'll tie him if he wins his fight in September. Yeah. I don't know who he's fighting, so that's clearly going to be a win. Now, there was an
1: interesting thing brought up, and then I'll just end on this. The rematch? About, uh, not about a rematch, but what could possibly make him want a rematch with Pacquiao, and that is they're never going to top, money-wise, what this fight was.
2: $60 million and $40 million. Okay.
1: Um, but if it's held, and Pacquiao can get a significant buildup, right? Whether he wins or loses, but just a significant buildup. Um, they say he might consider that. Might be the only thing that would make him consider maybe having a rematch, because the money might approach what was made in this fight.
2: His people are poor though out there. Well. Because They're
1: talking about the. I can't remember the name of the town. I, I might be saying it incorrectly.
2: In the Philippines.
1: Yeah, Macau or something. It's like okay. it's considered the the Las Vegas of the Philippines, okay. or, or or it's closer to China, I think, somewhere in that region over there. Um, and that's where the fight would be held. Yeah. Um. So we'll see, but um, it was a great sports weekend. If you it were was. a sports fan, all around sports fan.
2: It was so, indeed. We also had game one of the Western Conference semis in which the Golden State Warriors obliterated the Memphis Grizzlies. And then that was followed up by the best end the weekend could have had, the announcement oh, God. of the best player in the world in the game of basketball, your MVP, everybody here in the Bay Area, Mr. Stephen Curry. Well who, done.
1: Who I like to... Affectionately call Steph infection curry.
2: I like that because the three fact, pointer will kill you.
1: Matter of fact, I'm going to add something to it. Steph infection curry goat. <laughs>
2: there you go. <laughs> Combine it with the with a dish of your liking. That's right. All right, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, on
1: the theme that we've been talking about, just easing into our topic. By the way, I I was messing around with my computer and the and the screensaver and somehow turned the screensaver I usually keep it off. Okay. For the show so my screen doesn't keep going black. And somehow I've messed it up to the point where I cannot get it to stay stay off. Oh, excellent. So I'll fiddle around with that afterwards. But uh easing into our show topic, treatment and recovery. May Day.
2: No good. you that in yeah. any context. Mayday, Mayday.
1: Uh, severe C A T spells cat. Of course, I put one after that people are like, "What? What is this guy talking about?"
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I am are on.
1: We? I am on a, a, an aircraft theme here.
2: Even when though, I?
1: even though they do use Maydays for ships. Yeah. And, and ocean
2: liners and what have you.
1: Boats, etc. You know, there's a difference between a ship and a boat.
2: A ship and a boat. Uh,
1: No. Oh, there is. Don't ask me what it is, but there is. Because okay. you go up to a Navy corpsman and say, hey, how are you doing on
2: that boat? On that boat? That or on out. that
1: ship. Depending on what they get off of, they're going to say, I'm not on a ship. I'm on a boat. There's a okay. the difference. All right. Anyway. So... uh,
2: I'm going to cut you off here, but I'm gonna. I want to venture a guess, as you have gotten myself and the misses Into Airplane things now, mm-hmm. I think I might know what CAT stands for.
1: Okay. Go ahead. Give it a try.
2: Clear Air Turbulence? Exactly. Hey! All right. Well done.
1: So normally, you would never get a May Day for Clear Air Turbulence, but for those of you who do fly and don't like the bumpy, choppy ride that you get up there at 30,000 feet and above, um, you'll get a lower too, but mostly as you get up into the jet stream. Um, it's called clear Air Turbulence. And clear obviously meaning they cannot see it. Um, you can only feel it. But how do we make that analogy, because we are we are big on analogies in the recovery world, especially here at OCG, how do we make that a, bring that analogy of the May Day and the severe clear air turbulence into what we've been talking about because we were, we're now post-treatment, right? That's right. And if I recall our last show, our last live show, um, I think we
2: were settling in at, at our cruising altitude. Settling in at the cruising altitude. So,
1: indeed. Right. So we were, you know.
2: So you're cruising. We're cruising in, in, in our
1: recovery life. Things are going well.
2: No danger in sight.
1: Uh, We've accomplished all of the things in our transition slash discharge plan that we had for ourselves post-treatment. Whatever those things may have been, whether it is reunification with family, whether it was uh, regaining of employment or finding employment, uh, vocational education or academic education, improving those areas. Whatever the things are that we set up set up set out for ourselves to improve our lives and, and as we move through the recovery experience, um, we've pretty much, you know, got there and now we're just cruising along.
2: Living, I like to call it. That's what you're doing. You know? Living. Living life.
1: Living life. And along comes a May Day. Now, what are some examples of a mayday? Well, let's put it at the very top of the list, just from experience and in shared numbers. Okay, Mayday calls come from relationships. Mm-hmm. Hey, me and my girl broke up. Hey, I'm having trouble over here. Hey, you know, this is what's going on in my family. So you get mayday calls on relationships, mayday calls on Hey, I lost my job. Mayday calls on hey, I'm getting kicked out of where I'm living, or you know, the rents they raised the rent and I can't afford to live there. So serious stuff, not you know, non-serious stuff, but st- life, st- stuff that can be life-changing. Sure. Okay. So those are Mayday type calls because if you're on an aircraft and you were able to listen in, which you can on United Channel Nine.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, to, to the to the, to the
1: pilot communications to the various air traffic controls. That's just a free tip by the way. If you're into that stuff, which you're probably not. Um The very last thing you want to hear is a Mayday call.
2: <laughs> <laughs> At forty thousand no. feet. No.
1: Because uh that's means something bad has happened. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> But in our recovery world, um we don't panic. So meaning when I say we, we the providers, we don't we don't panic when we get a Mayday call. Okay, we find out what, what's the problem, what's going on, and uh what can we do to uh alleviate the initial issue that may be presenting the May Day call. The reason why I added severe clear air turbulence is more often than not, sometimes you don't see it coming. You can't... You know, the, the uncontrollable. Yeah. The, you, you know, you come home from work one day and the letter's in your mailbox. Hey, rent's going up $1,000 next month. In two months. I can't afford that. Yeah. Mr. Morales, can you report to Human Resources?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you get
1: called to Human Resources and you get told, hey...
2: It's not personal.
1: Not, it's not personal, but your position has just been automated. We we now have a manu, uh, automated ice cream scooper.
2: <laughs>
3: That's it.
1: Um, so your job has been eliminated. No advance notice. Um, now I can say, usually, when it comes to the the top one. Again, historically and in the numbers-wise, the uh, relationship issue, um, I, I won't say that's that's not without advance notice unless you come home to a Dear John letter or a Dear John announcement. You know, it's just not working out, and it's not you, it's me.
2: Of course. It's not personal. <laughs> and, it's, and it's not
1: personal, of course. Um so unless it's that, usually you know signs have been in existence and it just has not been managed appropriately um, or um, reinforcements brought in, i.e. counseling, therapy, whatever, to try and uh, deal with the issues that are present in the relationship. So if those things did not occur and it has caused itself to get to a state of irreparable damage, then you have a mayday scenario and a relationship that's, in crisis and about to end or has to end. You've been notified. You've been noticed. Um, we're done. And so we get the call or the visit or the hangout. Hey, how you doing? What brings you back? Not meaning back into treatment, but you know, people come back and hang out, eat dinner, eat lunch, have breakfast. Rarely. Not breakfast. They never show up that early. But dinner time is a pretty popular time around the facility, wouldn't you
2: say? I would say for, for, so. For our visitors. That's, that's a very popular time. Uh, Indeed, not so much the cleanup afterwards. No, no, no. They, they arrive right <laughs> on. The dining. They arrive right on time when the line
1: starts, and uh, as soon as the chief calls for uh, house tighten up, uh, they're mysteriously Ooh, gone. Ooh, got a time to go. The bus, the bus, <laughs> the bus is coming, right? <laughs> got to get out to the bus stop. That's right. But um, one of the things that we know. Is when a person has been in addiction for a long period of time, let's say in excess of five years, but more often than not, let's say 10 and up, we know that you develop certain behaviors, right? Yeah. And as a result of developing those behaviors, you develop certain types of instinctive or or reactions that become instinctive as a part of the life that you're living. Okay, So in comparison, a person that's not using drugs and not in that life, faced with similar circumstances, would not react the way or behave the way you're behaving. So we know that when a person comes into treatment, that one of the things that must happen is obviously identification of what those are and what needs to happen to change the instinctive response to a different instinctive response. Now, what does this have to do with the topic title? Well, more often than not, the struggle is, when you're you're cruising along, is when everything is going well, well, there's no issue. The true test of how far you've actually come is when a crisis happens. That's now going to test whether or not, you have sufficiently addressed the instinctive reaction to whatever the crisis may be, do you revert back? Does fear rule? Does negative rule? Or does positive rule and new behavior rule? And that's only shown through how you... uh, you know, respond to what the issue is, so let's use the one as just for argument's sake and example's sake, let's use the one that's the most common, and that's the the struggle um in the relationship arena that people experience. They come in, and let's just use the men, okay, mhm they come in, they're used to dealing with their relationships in a certain way, emotionally, mentally physically, psychologically, etc. So now they're they're now out of treatment and they're in their cruising period of their recovery and there's a mayday in the relationship. Okay? So the question becomes how do they handle that? Do they revert back to the old way? Let's say the old way was they got Physical, They had domestic violence. History. History. Do they revert back to that? Now, we know in treatment, we spoke about that. We delved into that. We talked about different means and ways of handling that. You may have even had a domestic violence course that you were required by the courts to take or required by us to take separate and apart from your treatment. You know what I'm saying? So you've had enough information thrown at you. You've had enough absorption of information. But information is one thing. Controlling your behavior is another. Okay? That's right. The Dear John notice, well, let's say worst case scenario, he gets the Dear John announcement in person. Okay. Okay. You know, Chris, it's not you, it's me.
3: <laughs> it's not
1: personal, Do Chairs start flying.
2: What? <laughs> oh yeah, okay, yeah, it can go there.
1: Is uh, is is the mistress running around the house looking for cover? <laughs> we hope not. We hope that the control the mind, the exercises that you've been utilizing, not only in treatment, but post-treatment, the tools come into play. The person puts them into action and is able to acknowledge their feelings. And this is the key part. No matter what the mayday is, we talk about it so much, about to be aware to so be alive being aware of how you feel at every given moment in time because it may one day save your life so at this moment in time the woman tells you you know what this is not working out i think we need to go our separate ways and and that's what i decided to do well at that moment in time as as soon as that sentence ends what are you feeling? How do you feel? And all, and this process is happening very quickly. And the mind must act very quickly to make sure that it controls any possible negative response, be it verbally or physically, that may creep up from the bowels of the uh, the old you. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> you
1: know what I mean? Yeah. So what are we feeling? How would any man feel in that circumstance? Because I've said this said many times, we all feel the same way in similar circumstances. What separates us is how we act or how we respond. So most men, 99.9% would be very hurt. Would you agree?
2: Yes, I would agree.
1: Would then jump to anger. Okay. But then I would interject there. I
2: think there might be a little fear in there, too.
1: That's just the reason I'm interjecting. Yeah. Because before, right before that anger comes, because that's the easy one, you know, your feelings are hurt, boom, anger. But Always. right before that anger, there might be one or two things that happen right before then. You are absolutely correct about the fear because your mind immediately starts thinking about, well,
2: what's
1: you know, what am, who am I going to be with?
2: Yeah, what am I going to do? What am I
1: going to do? And then the, the big R, which we talked about the big R before, and I think it was it you that mentioned the other R? We talked about one R, and then we forgot there's actually two big R's.
2: Yeah, well I think I took a guess as to what your big R was and then after my guess we realized there that were there's two, actually big R's. two big
1: Rs. Yeah. So, um the one big R is the rejection which 99.9% of the time is glossed over. Yeah. How do you feel? Oh, I'm hurting angry. But the actual fuel for the hurt, fuel for the anger is that rejection. Right. And If we can't acknowledge that and are not aware of that, then we can't control what we're going to do behind how we feel. That's right. Because most people get very angry when they're rejected. Most people get very angry when they're hurt by something like that. Most people get very angry when they're afraid. And especially, you know, the guy, the fictional guy we're talking about who's got a history of domestic violence. Okay. Can... (laughs)
2: when he he gets the message he might have the third big R on his mind if you will
1: and that one is
2: revenge oh that's 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 the (laughs) third yeah right
1: that's the third because the second is resentment (laughs) that's right so what we're hoping though is that he has learned enough in terms of being able to identify his feelings and use his brain to control his behavior which will allow him to Say something such as this, I'm very hurt by that decision. I feel rejected. We might not say we're afraid, but we would would say and i'm and I'm very angry. That's what we would want. That's what we teach that's what we try and practice in the in the treatment settings. Someone to be able to say when faced with something as May Day as that. Absolutely. Now, while you're sitting there uttering those words, I feel hurt, I feel rejected, and I'm angry. You're not having any physical response. This is an emotional response. And the person doesn't realize this, but by being wit to be aware, to so be alive, being aware of how you feel, being able to articulate and express it at that moment of truth, okay, allows the brain to kick in to make sure that it de-escalates any possible physical response. And usually, think about it for a second, everyone, when you tell someone that you are hurt and that you are you know you feel rejected and you're angry that type of emotional expression that emotional articulation really takes the uh the energy out of a physical response because you've let out the emotional right. energy first. Right. Very rare is it that you're uttering those words and wailing on somebody at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um,
2: Speaking on it alleviates some of that tension. Absolutely.
1: Now that doesn't mean that you're going to get a response that 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 may not kick up the fires.
2: Right. Yeah. After you've said all that, <laughs> you, know, you know,
1: after you've bared your your heart, bared your, you know, you you have made yourself extremely vulnerable. Okay. And and what could be the worst possible uh, response you can get to that? That may that may light a fuse.
2: Get laughed at, perhaps. Uh, depends on who you're disclosing that to. Are you sharing let's that? Say it's
1: a, let's say it's the worst, you know, the worst. But
2: let's let's say they have no no heart.
1: We have to use the worst possible scenario. Yeah,
2: yeah. But I'm I, so I mean, are you expressing this to the woman who just left you? So, or yeah, the a, woman who just gave you the Dear John notice. Okay, so yeah, so you go ahead and you're honest and you say these things and she says, uh, "Well, good. That's uh, who cares. I'm out of here anyway." Laughs at you. This is the reason I left you in the first place. You're a sissy. <laughs> All that emotional crap. I'm out of here. I want a man. That's right.
1: Well, at that moment, it would take a man. (laughs) It would take a man's man to just utter these words. These three words. I hear that.
2: That's it. I hear that. That's it.
1: Um, But you must ultimately always remain in control. And very often when someone leaves a treatment setting, the opportunity to practice that doesn't present itself, okay, in a significant way. And so what we're talking about here are May Day type events where your emotions would be at their the highest of the high, and can you control them? Have you done enough work not only while you were in the treatment setting but post the treatment setting up on you no know, and while you've been in the cruising out? have you done enough work to guarantee now I've heard it said many times by the way, while I was in treatment. You can't guarantee anything. I argued against that point. Okay. And it was in speaking to you and what you may do what in regards to how you feel and how you think and what you're going to do in terms of your actions. You can't guarantee anything. You don't know what you're going to do. You don't know how you're going to react. And I would argue the opposite. If I don't know, who, who does know? very true i'm in control of me have to be so if i'm not in control of me who's in control of me so i would argue the opposite point and say no actually you you can you can you can guarantee that you're not going to respond this way cuz you're ultimately in control of everything that you do and how you respond so you can guarantee that if your boss says listen um, HR needs to see you
2: or if your boss says listen you're going to need to start practicing this phrase would you like that supersized?
1: yes can you make it down to HR without you know le-
2: leaving a line le- a,
1: a trail <laughs> of bodies you know with you know damaged eye sockets and, and what not
3: exactly you know, that's
1: the truth that's the test and so it would, you know, the folks, not not my peer group, but the the other people that were in treatment at the time, say, well, how could you sit here right now and say, as we talk about these, quote, unquote, I have air quotes up, these pretend events that you, you're you not going to act differently. You're not going to, you know, lose your cool. How could you say that? You don't know what you're going to do. So, okay, Let's, using that line of thinking that you just gave me, let me throw an analogy out at you. Why wouldn't the same line of thinking that you're throwing at me apply towards me saying to you, how do you know you're not going to use? Because I believe you can dictate, you can sit here right now and say, I'm not going to use anymore. Sure, yeah. And if you argue against that using the same analogy, then I would sit here and tell you, then you know what? You're going to use. Because if you don't believe you have the ultimate control.
2: Yeah, if you're not in the one in control as to whether or not you use, best of luck to you. Best of luck to you. Yeah, I completely agree.
1: So my peer and I used to have to argue these points and using these analogies. Um, And that's how we became big on analogies. Because you're going to go out there and you're going to experience these things and you can you can only mimic but so much in the treatment setting. You can only mimic real life things. So, for example, you know, in, in our program, OCG, we have a hierarchical uh, program in terms of the clients and, and their
2: responsibilities, responsibilities in, the in the
1: house. And so the highest level you can reach is a coordinator. And sometimes you can do things to get fired from that position. That's right. And you can do things to get fired and sometimes you would do nothing to get fired and would still fire you to create a May Day situation to see how you would
2: respond. That's right.
1: Especially if you've been kind of cruising along and sailing.
2: That's right. You know what I mean? That's right.
1: So... Clear air turbulence. You don't like flying, I heard. I'm
2: not a big fan of it. No, sir. Are you a white knuckler? Used to be. I was up until the point I spoke to you not so long ago.
1: I had you on my couch. and, and
2: <laughs> That's right. And, uh, That's right. I had I my worked white knuckler out of you. And uh, I got to a place where it's kind of um, similar to what we're talking about now accepting the fact that you're not in control of everything, controlling what you can control, and um, understanding that there are certain things where trust just has to be in the picture. Mm-hmm. So I had a moment oh, flying in your neck of the woods when we landed in Vermont, and did Niagara Falls and Montreal a couple mm-hmm. years back, mm-hmm. um, on one of the changes. Flying from here into Chicago, very turbulent landing, the white knuckles were out in full force. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my my good friend and his wife, each one of them, holding one of my hands. That's how scared I used to get.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, we landed safely, I uh, close to passing out, sweat dripping from the forehead. And then on the next flight, and I don't know what it was, I definitely thought about what we had spoken about, thinking about life in general and things that you can and can't control. And I had a moment while we were in air, mid-flight going from Chicago to Vermont. And I said, you know what? Me being scared is not going to change whether or not this plane goes down. Mm -hmm. If it goes down, it's going down, Mm -hmm. and it's out of my hands. Mm -hmm. And if not, then we're going to end up in Vermont like we're supposed to Mm -hmm. and fine. Mm -hmm. And from that moment forward, flying back when we flew back from Vermont to Chicago and back from Chicago to SF, and I believe I've flown to Vegas once, since then, too, and Vegas can be a little turbulent over the mountain, mm-hmm. um, have still kind of let it go. Mm-hmm. That's to be determined how long that'll last. I don't know, but mm-hmm. for now, I think I'm I'm kind of over it. Okay. Good stuff. You fly with some white knucklers in your family, from what I understand. I don't know if that's supposed to be shared information or not. <laughs> I don't know if it could be shared. I mean,
1: um, I don't know if I'd call my wife a white knuckler anymore. Um and I don't think either of my daughters would fall under white knuckler, but uh they are uh they do have maximum grip on the armrest during certain points of
3: <laughs> of,
1: of flight. All right. I do make it a point not to be sitting too close to them unless I'm forced to, um by seating arrangements because then, you know, I, I I'll have finger Marks and fingernail marks in my forearms or biceps or whatever, as uh, as nothing is happening.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I remember one time, uh, as we just branch off ta- into a tangent real quick. It's always okay for talk, a
2: quick tangent.
1: And I can talk about planes. Just cruising down the runway on takeoff, and you know you hear that noise. Chim, 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 chim just gets faster and faster. And my daughter was like, What's that noise? And I said, Think. Think real hard what that noise might be. it gets louder and louder and louder and faster and faster and faster. And we took off. And I said, It's the runway lights. The tires going over the lights. Yeah. You know, they're raised off the ground. That's right. So the tires, you know, it makes that noise. Boom, 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 boom. That's right. So
2: Well so as much as you love planes and enjoy flying and all that you you yourself at what point or where's the limit where the knuckles turn white if any besides hearing mayday if you're listening to channel 9 on united
1: um i have never experienced a white knuckle event because i mean from a young age i mean i wanted to be a pilot right so um I'll I'll tell you an event that could have been a white knuckle event but because of something funny that happened I was not in a position to be in a white knuckle situation. situation. <laughs> and that was also going into Chicago on the way to Virginia and uh we were just getting ready to touch down and there was another plane on the runway they had to pull up. And at that moment I was farting around with my uh iPod and it fell on the floor and I was reaching down trying to find it. And I remember your seat backs up in your seatbelt, you know, appropriately, getting ready to land. Right. And I'm loosening up my seatbelt because I'm trying to find my iPod. It's sliding around on the floor. And right at that moment, as I'm thinking, okay, we're getting ready to hit ground, we're pulling back up. But I'm still looking for my iPad. I have no idea what's going what's on, why we're pulling okay. back up. I'm just trying to find my
2: iPod. Okay.
1: Taking out of, taking taking back off over the Great Lakes. and And hitting heavy turbulence, by the way,
2: which wow, is okay. common over the Great Lakes. Sure.
1: You know, you're dropping like, I don't know, I don't know how far it feels you're dropping as you're going through the turbulence, maybe 10 feet, 10, 10 feet, drop, 8 drop, to 10 feet, yeah, upper, but you yeah. feel like
2: you're dropping a yeah. 10 but, story this, building. This whole time,
1: I'm bent over my seat. Right. Re- with my hands reaching. I can't see. I'm just reaching around trying to find this. My iPod just fell on the ground. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm still not paying attention to what's going on. Sure. So.
2: It always tends to be that Chicago, huh? Coming in or out of Chicago. Oh yeah, Chicago is very uh. Turbulent. Your right
1: knuckler. I advise you to uh, find another air, another uh spot.
2: Fly through another route.
1: <laughs> another um, uh, hub.
2: Yeah. Oh, it, on the quick, the quick tangent. We do have a couple minutes before the top of the hour. The worst I've ever heard. Uh, story. My father-in-law, um, flying, and uh, I, I may have some of the minor details missing, but I believe what he said is, I forget where he was flying from, um, maybe Florida or somewhere, but back to California, back to SFO. And, um, or maybe they were taking off. Anyway, they were down by Southern California. This was the closest airport to them, I want to say, LAX or something like that. They were in the air and uh, I want to say smelled smoke or the, maybe the captain thought something was on fire, an engine or something somewhere mm-hmm. was on fire. So, uh, the captain got on and spoke to the passengers. We're going to have to make an emergency landing in, in LA. Um, and he said, so he's in a window seat and it's not raining, mind you. And it's late at night and all of a sudden his window, ton of fluid getting splashed on the window. And it was, they were dumping the gas mm-hmm. from the engine. So mm-hmm. if there was a fire, you know, they weren't going to explode in midair. Mm-hmm. And then all he says he remembers seeing as the wind wipes off some of the gasoline and they're looking down approaching LAX is just emergency sirens and lights from fire trucks and ambulances lining up the the <laughs> runway for as long as the eye could see, um, you know, preparing for potentially a crash landing or whatever mm-hmm. the case. And my wife tells me, apparently this was on the news when it happened. The news was following this. Mm-hmm. Um and they were able to land safely and whatever, but I'm, I'm thinking to myself, even now with my newfound mentality, if if I'm smelling smoke and gasoline's getting dumped and I'm seeing fire lights uh, for as far as I can see, I think the white knuckles are making a comeback at that point.
1: I, I will add. Martin. I I wouldn't classify my wife as a white knuckler, but if she is, she has every reason because she has been on a couple of emergency landings.
2: Ooh, yeah, see,
1: going you know to England. I've
2: not had to experience that yet. Yeah,
1: so she would have good reason. Sure, sure. So, in closing, as we've gone off on a tangent on the various uh, aircraft experiences, yes, and that will not be the last time, by the way, just to let our listeners know. Um. We asked in the description if it was possible for a person to replace those negative and destructive instinctual behaviors or reactions with positive and constructive ones. Is that possible? And we said, yes, it is possible. But it's not an overnight process. And we say in the treatment world, when we say overnight, we don't actually mean like one night, physical night. Right. We mean it's you're not going to change this in a year. This is something that has to ha- if you spend fifteen years being this way, okay, it's not going to flip one hundred percent in twelve months.
2: Absolutely right.
1: However, if the opportunities present itself for you to put your newfound knowledge and ways of being into practice, okay, the more you're able to put it into practice the more it will become your new instinctive reaction. Rather than that old negative destructive reaction, the positive constructive reaction will become the instinctive way. Right. But there's only so much you can do in the treatment setting. It's post-treatment. Got to be put to the test. In cruising altitude, cruising mode, that when these things come your way, where you have to now, boom, put it to use so you can reap not only the benefits of it, but also see for yourself, oh, wow, okay. No, this is, no, this is, um, what do they call it? You know, post looking at whatever happens. This wasn't good.
2: Oh, in hindsight? In
1: hindsight, yeah, it wasn't good in terms yeah. of, you know, what occurred, sure. uh, this breakup of this relationship. How did I respond? How did I take receive the information? How did I act? You know, you can look back, and if, you responded and behaved in an appropriate fashion. Remember we talked about the natural highs, the endorphins, and so on and so forth? Not in the moment. Not in the moment of when you're being told you're being dumped. Right. <laughs> That's when the depression comes. But when you look, when you're able to come out of that and take a hindsight view and look at how you behaved and carried on, and it was a positive way, it's constructive, and you can learn from that experience, it's an amazing high that you can reap yeah, from v- that.
2: Versus knowing the old you and how you would have responded. Exactly. Completely agree.
1: So, May Day. May Day. There's a show, I don't, I don't know where you have to, might be on Netflix, May Day at 40,000 feet.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh no. Uh. Uh-uh. Alright, so uh now everyone knows what CAT stands for. So if you ever hear a pilot say, it, uh, yeah, we got some CAT up here, you know, it's clear air turbulence. And to be aware of it, even though you can't see it as it approaches in your life, for those of us that are in recovery. That's all I got, sir. It's
2: an excellent way to sum it up, uh, an excellent way to sum it up, and I couldn't agree more with the points that were made. Control what you can control, accept what you cannot.
1: And thanks for flying OCG Airlines.
2: (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's right. So uh, top of the hour, we do see we have some callers on hold here. We are going to get to you guys on the other side. We thank you for being patient and hope you've enjoyed the show to this point. We're going to take a quick commercial break and start our recovery support time on the other side. The Latino Commission Drug and Alcohol Treatment Services in South San Francisco was organized and incorporated in early 1991 and going on 22 years of providing services to our community. The Latino Commission, also known as TLC, would like to offer our services to those struggling with a substance use disorder. We have residential facilities for men, women, mothers and children, outpatient programs, transitional and SLE homes to assist and promote a successful recovery for individuals. We at the Latino Commission provide educational services on self-esteem, assertiveness, life management, coping skills, anger management, limits and boundaries, and other various subjects. The Latino Commission, restoring people holistically in an environment of love and understanding that represents our culture, improving quality of life.
0: Recovery is a program of OCG Radio. It deals with many topics related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment, and recovery. Our recovery support time is a show segment where you can receive support from our host for any questions or issues you wish to present related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment, or recovery. You can reach our hosts live by calling 646 564 9909. That's 646 646- Five six four nine nine zero nine, or you can send your questions via email at any time to ocgwork.ca at gmail.com. That's ocgwork.ca at gmail.com, and our host will respond to your questions on the air. Roach on recovery, recovery support time, a time for us to help you.
1: on recovery. We're entering our recovery support time. 646-564-9909 is the number if you want to call in. And let's go right to the phones to who do we got here? I have no name on there, so name and hometown, please.
4: Esmeralda San Mateo.
1: Hi, Esmeralda. Welcome. How can we help you?
4: Um, I wanted to know if there's a cure for this disease at all. Is Has there been any types of medication to help us with these diseases, or is it just like program, like self-help?
1: What disease are you referring to?
4: Like drug addiction.
1: Well, it's still up for voracious debate whether or not it is a disease or not
3: mm-hmm.
1: so ultimately let's put that off to the side for a second okay do you think i'm going to just ask you some questions just to see what you think okay do you do you think that some people are predisposed to addiction
4: um yeah in a way
1: okay so, like, if if it's in their family history or something that they may be predisposed to it.
4: Yeah, like, say your mom or your dad were drug addicts, and then um, they had you, and then you became a drug addict. So, you know, if they're a, if they were both addicts, then you're more than likely to become an addict too if you live the same lifestyle as them.
3: Okay. Okay.
1: Now, to answer you, the second part of your question first, I mean the. The medications that they have aren't for, uh, that that are on the market, I should say now, aren't for, quote-unquote, curing addiction per se. They're mostly for dealing with some of the symptoms that people might experience. So, like, for alcoholics, they might have drugs that help deal with some of the detoxing issues that they may face. For heroin addicts, they may have medication that may deal with some of the withdrawal symptoms that they may face, but in terms of eliminating the craving, they're, trust me, they're working hard on it, but it has not come to market yet.
4: Oh, okay. So,
1: so uh, what, do you, so what look, are you left with?
4: Huh?
1: So since nothing has come to market yet that targets the craving aspect, what is a person left with?
3: Um,
4: probably, I believe, just like programs that can... Show you tools to help you with your cravings if you can identify triggers.
1: Well, the first thing we'd want to know is, you know, how, how did how did you become an addict in the first place?
4: Um, I was hanging out with people who were doing it, and I wanted to be with the in crowd, so I wanted to try what they were trying.
1: So cu- curiosity, acceptance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and why did you, after you satisfied your curiosity and you were accepted, why did you continue?
4: I got instantly addicted. It was just a new feeling. It made me feel good at the beginning and I liked it too much and I didn't want to stop.
1: So you liked the way it made you feel?
4: Yeah. Only for a certain amount of time and after I continued, it just became something I had to do to feel normal now.
1: Right. So after through consistent use, you moved from a point of using to feel good and have fun, and so on and so forth, to having to use just to be able to feel, like you said, normal. Yeah. Okay. So, you had moved from one point into full addiction mode. Exactly. Now, how long was uh, how long of a period of time was that?
4: Um, I think I went from just having fun to um, feeling normal within a period of two
1: years. Okay. And once you got to that point of, where I I need to use just to feel right, how long did that phase
3: last?
4: It lasted all up until now, and so I've been a user for 15 years.
3: Wow. So a good,
4: yeah.
1: So you know what our job is? When I say our, I don't mean like me, I mean you, but our yeah. together job is we have to walk ourselves back to where you were at that very moment in time when you decided to, out of curiosity and acceptance, try your first whatever it was that you used that made you feel good, made you feel different, etc., and ask the eternal question. You ready for the eternal question? Yeah. What was wrong with how I was feeling before that made me want to try something to make me feel different or better? What was wrong? What was going on? um, What has happened?
4: To me, it was more like I didn't have a normal childhood. Like, I didn't have that mom or dad, and once I started getting old enough to say hey I didn't have that mom or dad I wanted to feel accepted in a different way because I didn't have what everyone else had like a normal mom or dad I grew up with my grandma and my uncle Mm -hmm. so it was kind of more of like okay well let me be a little bit more like them and the only way to uh, make me feel like them was doing what they were doing
3: okay
1: well we're gonna have to backtrack that okay because ultimately, your your childhood experience, in terms of not having the you know the parents and not having the the, the type of childhood you should have had a healthy childhood, let's call it, is mm-hmm. one thing. What you did as a teenager slash young adult is another thing, and then what you did as a grown adult, intellectually mature adult, is another thing. So you got three separate things. Yeah. You're now mature enough in terms of your age to be able to look back and say, okay, why did, these, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? And you have to be able to answer every one of them, honestly. Okay. You know what I'm saying?
4: Okay. Because
1: ultimately, the main question that's going to come to you is, well, t- as we sit here today, do you feel like using? And if don't answer that question. Okay. Don't answer it. Okay. As we sit here today, the question is, do you feel like using? And if the answer is yes, the next question will be, why do you feel, F-E-E-L, why do you feel like using today if you are aware of the reasons why you made the decisions you made back in the past?
5: Mm -hmm.
4: Okay. So
1: it's those things that we try and answer to get you to a point of, you know what, I no longer need to use to feel that way because I now understand why I did what I did and why I needed to feel the way I felt. Now the question becomes, since I started so young, what can I do to feel that way naturally?
4: Okay, that makes sense. I never thought of it that way.
1: And that's a process. It takes time. Okay. All right.
4: Okay. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. Bye. Bye bye. Let's go to Michael Foster City. You want to help me with Michael since my Uh, mouth seems to be going dead?
2: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) We're going to have to help you from this point forward. Michael, you're on the air with our host, Mr. Roach, Roach on Recovery. Mr. Roach? Hi, Michael. Welcome.
6: Hey, how you doing?
2: Good. Um, Can you speak up a little a bit, Mike?
6: Yeah. You know what? I'm thinking about choosing the right sponsor for myself. Now, should I? how do I choose? Do you have like a limit as far as how long they've been in AA? Or uh, do you not? Do you recommend uh, them having at least a year?
1: To my knowledge... Mike, there's no uh criteria book yeah. that you have that you go by. It's whether or not the person, you know, as you go to AA and you meet potential sponsors is whether or not that person feels right for you.
6: Right. They, they just have to work it's and and it
1: may take you know, it may take one person, and then realizing, okay, that's not a good fit, and it might be the next person. Okay. And what, but what's important is that you get the right person for you.
3: Right. Not that they,
1: not that they, I e the sponsor, believe that they're the right person for you, but Michael has to know that that's the right person for them. Okay. For him, I should say, not them, but for him. Okay. And can I just add one more thing, Mike? Yes, please. Anybody, do. anyone can be your sponsor. Just so you know that. There's no official yeah. certification. Anyone can be anyone that's supporting, that's willing to support you in in yeah. your recovery can be your sponsor.
6: Yeah, I hear you. Okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I You're appreciate very welcome. Your time. Okay, thank you. Take care.
1: Bye bye. What I was doing with the uh, first caller is I was just giving an example using her as an example of how we sometimes will walk a uh, person through um, the process of of answering the, the the questions of okay why did you start using what made you start using what was the process that caused you know caused you to start using and so they can hear themselves answer these questions because you're Absent your peer group, if you're in the treatment setting doing that, you have to be able to do the you know actually analyze this yourself and sometimes it helps knowing what these questions are um and there's many different reasons why people start using many different reasons, okay, but the feelings involved are all the same, the circumstances may be different, but the feelings are the same, and so we oftentimes don't really need to hear what the circumstances are, but I do want to know how you felt because it's important for you to learn to, to, to identify the feelings, be able to articulate them and name them. And then as we work our way through, especially if someone started using very young in their childhood, 11 years old, 12 years old, et cetera, as we work them through into their teenage years and then, you know, what was that like? And then into, you know, their late teens and early 20s and, you know she was using for 15 years, so we got to walk them through that. And you can't prevent yourself from repeating these decisions and mistakes unless you know why you made each one of them. And so it is tedious, but it's a necessary process. All right, Mr. Producer, so I don't have to throw my mouse at you across the (laughs) room. Who who do
2: we like? Let's take uh,
1: Manny from San Francisco.
2: All right, beautiful. Manny, you are on the air with the host.
7: Manny, uh, welcome. Hi.
1: Manny Manny the trader, the the 49 I mean the Giants fan. Welcome. Welcome back.
7: (laughs) Thank you. Uh... I I was had a question on, um, it it on a basically uh is the alcohol a gateway drug or a gateway? Yes. Yeah. So so, what would you, my concern is just like uh that that would be like the first step from 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 becoming into into uh, another gateway drug.
1: Well, the term gateway means in terms of. It. The field that we're in is something that leads you into something more serious, so mm-hmm. alcohol by itself is a very serious drug, but some people start start out the first thing they start doing is drinking they might drink wine coolers or beers or what have you or yeah. in some cases they start out drinking mm-hmm. tequila uh-huh. in order to think of de mayo but
3: yeah. So yeah, I mean, if, if
1: if alcohol is the first thing you start doing, it may lead you to other things.
7: Yeah. Um,
3: yeah. But that's, that's, can I tell you uh, something? Yes.
1: I would say it's about, and tell me, Mister Producer, if you agree, it's about fifty-fifty. A lot of you know, a lot of times, you know, people who start with alcohol kind of just stay.
2: Okay. Yeah. You no. Know?
1: But go ahead, Manny. I cut you off.
6: Okay. Uh.
7: No, that, that that was just my concern because I know I started off with that and uh, I did started young and I was just curious um, about that and and uh, who knows. Uh, did you use that, any that drugs? Uh, well, I was I was uh starting to experiment uh marijuana. Okay. And um, uh, but uh, I wasn't too fond of it. Uh. Okay. Just, just more on the drinking, but maybe um, sometimes when I do uh passed to the point where where I'm uh over toxicated I tend to lean sometimes on smoking weed.
3: Okay.
1: So yeah. what age were you when you started drinking?
7: Um uh, thirteen.
1: Okay. So you you drank for how long?
7: Uh I've been drinking uh ever since uh till till today, uh, I'm twenty three. And um uh, just uh hello oh uh yeah i <laughs> i'm sorry i'm um I'm a little nervous, I don't know why, but uh
3: right.
7: yeah I, I' just been drinking since thirteen until till twenty three and um I saw my, I saw myself at least like having a few blackouts back back and forth and uh right. like, just so that's I kinda don't wanna be be uh being able to blackout basically and just i uh, i think i I tell myself that I'm not gonna go ahead and, and drink. I black out or, or drink so I can't handle myself. But sometimes I tend to overboard it. So I, I'm thinking that <laughs> I might be an alcoholic for that. That's why I'm curious.
1: Yes, Nothing. you are.
7: Yeah. Um, that was, that was pretty much it. Okay. Well, uh, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, bye.
1: Bye-bye. i need you to bring the next one on, Mr. Producer.
2: No comment on the last one? Uh, no, I'll comment after this call. Okay, mm-hmm. sure. We have Shan from Modesto. You're on with the host. Welcome, Shan. Hi, thank you.
8: Um, my question for you is I am in a treatment center, and I'm on my way towards transitioning out, and I was wondering what I can do in order to maintain staying strong in my recovery.
1: where are you at in terms of um, um where, where's, your, where's your where's your where's your where's your 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 mind and your 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 heart at in terms of your recovery process right now
8: my mind and my heart um i wholeheartedly want to stay clean once i get out of here and i want to attend meetings and of course have a job and just maintain my responsibilities i have a little bit of fear behind it but I'm just wondering what I can do, like, if I start to doubt myself.
1: Let's say you do start to doubt yourself. What what are some tools that you can put into play to uh, deal with that doubt?
8: Well, I know that I can always call a support group or I can sit down and do some writing. I was just wondering if there was anything more that I could do.
1: The reason I'm not answering that question, but actually asking you questions, is because I'm 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 trying to not only put you on the spot, right, but
3: mm-hmm.
1: trying to pretend like you're out there now, and there's nobody to call, or everyone you're trying to call is busy. No one's answering your phone. No one's responding to your texts and or your emails or whatever the case may be, and. Cheyenne may be going through a rough patch and she needs some support, but there's no support available for whatever reason. What is Cheyenne going to do to make sure that she maintains her recovery and is able to ride out this rough patch?
8: Well, I guess what I would have to do is I would have to pray about it and then I would just have to believe in myself to be strong enough to Continue on in my recovery and accept whatever it is I'm going through and learn how to deal with it pretty much.
1: I'm clapping. You hear those applause in the background? Yes. It's exactly what I wanted to hear.
8: All right, thank you.
1: Oh, don't hang up yet.
8: Oh, no, I'm I'm not.
1: Don't hang up yet. The reason I'm clapping is because ultimately, ultimately everything that you're going to be told or have been told, everything that you have learned, and you're going to leave with the full toolbox of things you can utilize to help you through this process. But there will always come a time when, you know, all that stuff gets put to the side and it's just you and the man. When I say the man, you know what I mean by the man. I'm just saying you—you yeah. just—it's just you and 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 everything that you don't want to do staring you in the face, and you got to stare it down. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You got to be able to stare it down. That requires discipline and self-control. Yeah. That's your ultimate thing that's going to save you. And so the answers that you gave reflected that, you know what, ultimately I'm going to have to be disciplined and I'm going to have to have some self-control because my support system may not be there at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to rely on me.
8: Yeah. I understand that, and I'm just going to have to believe in myself that I'm
3: strong enough to make it through whatever
1: I come to face. Absolutely. And if you believe in yourself, nothing, nothing, no one can make you do something that's not in your best interest.
8: Yeah, that's
1: for sure. Except you. Except you. So I hope we were able to help you. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Now we can talk about Mr. Manny's call. Okay. So uh, we've said over and over on the show that we know the those who have problems with alcohol really have a tough road to hoe, especially in our society, um, because of how prominent it is in terms of its, you know, existence in our culture, right? So one of the things I didn't hear from him was uh, and w- would give me pause to concern or pause for concern is a a strong desire to uh, acknowledge that he was an alcoholic. Kind of danced around it a little bit, even when they asked the question, kind of didn't really wholeheartedly a- a- acknowledge or admit that, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. So that would give me some, co- you know, some, some concern
2: there. We'll pause for concern. Yeah. So, and
1: the alcohol issue and alcohols come in all shapes, forms, and sizes. You know, it's not, it's not always the obvious person, you know, stumbling, bumbling, drunk. You know, it could be the buttoned up person, oh, yeah. you know, and just as easily. Just as easily. And it could be the one, you know, scotch a day for 36 years. You know, but take that one scotch away and... Wheels come off. Wheels come off. So, it's a different animal, alcohol. So, I always have to sit it over like in, the, in its own lane. It is. So to speak. It is. So, all right, let's go to John from milbray. John, welcome. Yes, hello. How are you?
9: I'm pretty good. How are you doing, boss? Good. Good, good. I have a quick question. Um, in, in recovery, how come in, uh, not in recovery, actually, you know, in um, behavior modification programs or any other program at that, how come you're not allowed to have relationships or any physical contact with the opposite sex?
1: Do you mean in the programs or outside?
9: Inside the programs, while living in the program.
1: What would that accomplish?
9: Um, just satisfaction for myself or, you know, since some people do different sentencing as far as a year and, you know, 18 months or, you know, long sentence, and some people may get, you know, like annoyed and it may cause frustration by not having it since you're so used to it. Uh, just like a stress reliever, I guess you can say, something to keep our minds off of using and other things in that nature.
1: Well, that that would not. Be, um, so I'm I'm not going to address the obvious. I'm going to speak to the less obvious, which is that would then not allow you to develop the discipline and self control that you're going to be need. That you're going to need in order to stay clean and sober.
3: hmm Okay,
1: that's true. So, if okay. you're in a co-ed program and you spend your energy and your focus on involving yourself with members of the opposite sex or same sex, whatever applies um, in romantic type relationships where does where does the dealing with the the addiction issues get time and focus? because I'll tell you once a relationship starts, that occupies ninety five percent of your brain.
9: Mhm. True. Yeah, but I didn't mean necessarily a relationship. I know I I messed up. But like just messing around with the opposite sex, or just having you know like a one night thing, or a couple hours maybe, or not not a like intimate relationship, but you know, plans on getting married and stuff, but just like something quick. John,
1: John, the, do you think the program, the residential treatment programs, are, are run like brothels?
9: No, I'm not saying that. I'm just I was just curious. I was always curious about that rule, you know, cuz men and women, you know, it's like a natural thing, I'd think. I believe.
1: Well, of, of course, yeah, of course it's a natural thing. But when a person yeah. goes into a treatment environment, when when you walk into a treatment environment to get help with something for yourself and it gets derailed because the attention goes to something else, and the reason you're saying is, well, it's, you know, the stress reliever and, you know, and so on and so forth. Well, what do people that, you know, what if the judge said, well, you know what, I'm sending you to San Quentin for
9: three years? <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be good. i would just like being in a co-ed.
1: Or, or, or if, you're, if, you're, if you're not in a co-ed program and you're just in a program that has... Only men, or if it's a woman in a program that has only women, it's you know because that's yeah. more normal than you know in the field than co-ed programs, just for the purpose you just stated, mm-hmm. so that they don't have to worry or deal with
9: those the situations.
1: Yeah, but what, but you accurately termed as those are you know the natural things that occur. People you know that are co- you, you put male and female living together for a period of time stuff happens, feelings develop, you know what I'm saying? Correct. But I look at it differently. I look at it as a test of discipline and self-control.
9: Definitely. I could see that, too. Mention, a I that you mentioned I did
1: see If a person can succeed with their discipline and self-control in that area, then they can, they
9: can su- succeed. succeed in any area. Yeah, definitely. In there. Yeah, definitely. Okay.
1: And that's one of the reasons why I'm still a fan of co-ed programs.
9: There you go. Definitely. Well, that opens my eyes more to more. And of uh my question, answers it perfectly. Actually. So. Okay. Okay. Cool, thank you. All right, John. Okay.
2: Well. <laughs> well played, sir. That was, uh, the answer was on point. It was exactly what I think our friend John needed to hear.
1: I think John was look. he's got the, he's looking for a brothel. <laughs>
2: That's pretty good.
1: All right, let's go to, uh, James. Hello. From, <laughs> hey, James, welcome.
6: Thank you for having me. Okay, so I, I I'm originally from the East Coast, and I kind of moved out of here, and basically a geographic move, and, uh try to get away from old friends, old lifestyles, a crack habit. And I basically just came to California and got on a booze hype, started associating with the same people, mirroring the ones I was in the East Coast, just different names, and soon the downward spiral, and I'm in the same scenario here in California. So my question is, do good geographics ever work? Like if my mind was right, or should I just like get busy where I'm at right now?
1: All right, let me ask, let me ask this first. Where where on the East Coast are you from? Yonkers. Okay, so our my uh, call screener, my producer, my engineer, who <laughs> trying to uh, put one over on me, put you in as James from Bonkers.
6: <laughs> from Bonkers.
1: Bonkers, New York.
3: <laughs> oh. No, he, he
1: he only did he only did that James because i I'm a New Yorker also, so he was just I know he was trying to make fun of you Little and
3: inside me joke. At, and
1: me and me at the same time uh. but back to your question time and distance never works never you can be an addict in Yonkers or an addict in San Francisco makes no difference
6: the way well, I'm looking at it, it's like it doesn't matter if I'm wasting my money on crack, booze, women, whatever uh, Lego collection, if I'm wasting my money and I'm wasting time in my precious life, then it's a it's a problem.
1: Well, let's take out the Legos cuz there's nothing wrong with Legos, but I know, I know I'm just kidding. Um exactly, and it makes no difference where you are. I mean, if you want to use, you're going to it not matter where you are, you're going to find what you want. Yeah. So that that leaves you with the problem being, home. Hmm. Yeah. That's a question. Home. James.
6: This is this is home now.
1: No, the question is, if if you use in Yonkers and you use in California. That lets you know that the problem is not Yonkers or California, but the problem is what?
6: It's me. It's not. It's not it's particularly exactly. the, the crack there or the booze here. It's just me. The problem lies with me.
1: Exactly. So and I'm taking it with me deal. in luggage everywhere I go. Right. We got to deal with you. Huh? Regardless of where you go, we got to deal with you. You follow you wherever you go. So all you did was just take your luggage and come from, from Yonkers all the way to. California and just brought your problems and whatever else with you and found other means of medicating yourself. It might've been a different drug, but you found something. So yeah, you got to deal with, they're that. all you just different vices, that. right? You got to deal with you, James.
6: Well, I think I'm off to a good start. I'm in a program I'm about to complete. I got a, I got a job. I'm kind of worried that I'm working too much and becoming a workaholic and, uh, I don't want that to be like my my next exit. I seem like I just overindulge in everything I do, and I just want to kind of take it slow.
1: All right, let's pump the brakes and get some balance. That's our and it's it's hey, pat yourself on the back, not too hard, but pat yourself on the back for recognizing that. Yeah. Some people wouldn't even recognize that they're they're going all the, the opposite extreme, and, in in another in another area. So very good that you're recognizing that, and so just pump the brakes a little bit and, and get some balance. Definitely. Okay.
6: Definitely. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: You're very welcome.
6: You have yourself a good Goodbye. night. Go Rangers.
1: Oh yes. They're down two to one. We need a win. We need a big win.
6: We're gonna bring it in. All right. You guys have a good night. You too. That's what you get for trying to make fun
1: of the New York callers. <laughs>
2: I thought he said "bonkers." You know what? That's an honest yeah. mistake. I've never heard of bonkers, in New York.
3: Oh <laughs> ah, yes.
2: Um.
1: Very funny on on the other one, but um, what was I going to ask you?
2: Moved about moving from one state to another. Yeah, well,
1: time time and distance. Switching the is,
2: environment, I think. Well, is kind of what he was getting at, but.
1: Well, time and distance is a tried and true. You know, I I'll use the term escape for lack of a better term. You know, let me let me move from where I'm here and go live with Auntie in, you know, in Hillsborough and, and or Beverly Hills and maybe that will well you're gonna find you know, right. you want to use you're gonna find it in Beverly Hills. That's exactly right. So all right, let's go to how are we doing on time, sir?
2: We're doing great. We got about eight more minutes.
1: Okay. Um let's go to Renee from Half Noon Bay. Hello. Hi, Renee.
10: Hi. I've got a question for you. I always wanted to uh, get your input on this.
1: Sure.
3: So
10: uh, you're familiar with the 12 steps in Narcotics and Alcoholics Anonymous? Sure am. Okay. So um, I I heard once, well, I did this book study, and they taught it that if you do your fourth step, fearless and thorough from the very start. So that's doing one fearless and thorough fourth step and then when you get to the tenth step it's continue to take personal inventory and when you're wrong promptly admit it so when i hear people keep saying you do another fourth and i'm just doing another fourth step isn't it designed that you do one thorough one and then continue in step 10 to continue to take personal inventory or do you just write numerous fourth steps
3: I
1: think what it is, and 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 it's probably what's making it confusing, is the essence of the fourth step and parts of the tenth step are always going to be ongoing. Okay. You understand what I mean? The
3: essence yeah, I know of it's an it. you know, ongoing
10: process. Correct. And I know it's an ongoing process. It's just... I've done one complete one, and then when things more things come to mind that I, you know, because I just don't remember everything. Right. Then it, you know, and then I, I call my sponsor and I just drop it right there. It's like a continue to take personal inventory. Mm-hmm. And I just keep hearing people telling me, no, you need to do more fourth another fourth step. And, you know, that you'll yeah, want I, to I do one.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's the case in terms of literally... Going back over And doing the fourth step I think it's what you've said What I've said The essence of As you continue to live You'll always be You know Doing that step Because things will always Come back Come back to you So four and ten Are always going to be A continuing part of your right. life
4: Right
10: Thank you Because yes as I know You start work, You quit working them After a while And you should just Start living them
3: and Exactly Anyway
10: Yeah Anyway that's That was my question. Thank you. You're You're the first one that's ever agreed with that.
1: (laughs) Well, good to know. Good to know.
10: All right. Appreciate it.
1: All right. Good evening.
10: All right. Bye.
1: Bye. Not that we want to get any hate mail or hate email or hate calls, but they can get crazy sometimes with the steps. Yeah, and uh, thinking that they're never ending, and as a result, as she stated, you stop. You never get to living. You're always
2: it was working, you're always working steps. the yeah.
1: steps. You got to get to living. Yeah,
2: absolutely. At a certain point,
1: and you can always, as things come up in your life, refer back to this to the steps as guidance. That's right. Um, and a reference tool. Um, if something comes up or you experience something, et cetera. But it's not a continually up. Oh, I just remembered this. I got to go. back oh, I'm 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 i to step step twelve. I got to go all the way back to step four. No, that's not how it works. Right. And if anyone is saying that, then I'm not even sure what the purpose of that would be.
2: Yeah, what purpose that would serve? I'm not sure either, other than maybe to make a make a real powerful point. We don't mess around here in AA. If you don't do the steps right, you'll be right back to them number hard. one. <laughs> That's it. All
1: right. Can I get. Uh, do, I, do I have time to go into the Indeed. I'm going to start off with a hard one.
2: Or we just had a caller pop up on the board. It would be the last call of the day. You got about 4 minutes unscreened. These kind of waters the ones we want to delve into this late in the show. I say go for it. Your co-host's opinion. Go for the caller or go for the X-Files? I say go for the caller. The callers are important. We we got the X-Files I got, I got, forever. I got, yeah, I got an inch I got an inch worth
1: of X-Files. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome to Roach on Recovery. Your name and hometown, please.
11: Mike from Alameda.
1: Hi, Mike. Welcome.
11: Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I just had um, shoulder surgery from a rotator cuff, and they prescribed me some uh, very strong angles. Wait
1: wait, wait a minute. Back up. Rotator cuff? Yeah. And you were pitching for which team? Was it the Giants?
11: (laughs) I'd be for the A's if I could.
3: Okay. All right. Go ahead.
11: All right. so they prescribed me some oxycodones, and then um, I've been trying not to, to take them as much as possible because I feel like if I take them, I relapse. But even though it's from the doctor, it's just like I have that guilt, and, and I've been seven months clean, and I, so I just take them, you know, here and there. But I still, I still feel like I get that. My stomach turns a little bit. Well, like. You say go it? ahead. Oh, no, go ahead.
1: All right, so the, this, the flip that you feel in your stomach is a good thing. Because what that means is that the process of you developing an internal standard is starting. But as addicts, sometimes the mistake is made of holding yourself to an unrealistic standard. So even though you may feel a certain way, it's just your feeling, okay? It doesn't make it a reality. If your shoulder is killing you and the doctor has said, hey, this will help take the edge off, okay, and you are responsible with it, then you do that.
11: Okay. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, the only time where we modify that is if you are a person who, you know, were addicted to opiates, okay? Then we would say, you know what, that's a dangerous, you know, you have to be very, very, very careful here, okay? But if that was not your issue out there, okay, then we have to learn how to take medication responsibly.
11: Correct. Correct. Yeah, my choice uh, was alcohol, so like pills and all that wasn't my thing. Okay. Well, you so seem to you be models
3: and or... doctors. So I shouldn't you seem feel
11: seem
3: to be mod-
1: should feel guilty, or
11: shit, I still feel guilty? That's no.
1: No, don't. No. That's just how you feel. It doesn't make it that. Just you. You might say to yourself, "Well, okay, because I'm taking this, and I know it has a narcotic in it." That I might feel like I'm relapsing But the reality is you're not Because are are you engaging in negative behavior?
11: No Are you
1: doing the associated behaviors That an addict would do when they're relapsing? No No So don't let your mind go You know, off the cliff you, It's okay, okay that you acknowledge that Hey, you know what, I know this is some serious stuff And I have to be careful Which you are doing, that's what I like to hear Okay all right, sir?
11: Yes, thank you very much.
1: All right, you're very welcome.
11: All right, you have a good night. Mm-hmm.
1: So he brought up an issue that, of course, we're going to be dealing with for a long time in the uh, recovery world, the treatment world. Um, but we also got to make sure that they don't, you know, go over the go right, over
2: right, right on this. I think it's, I mean, his response and mentality was close to perfect. Mm-hmm. He feels a little guilty, so he's admitting that. That's okay. He also says he's trying not to take it every single minute hits that he's prescribed to take it. Mm-hmm. He's trying to go without for a little period of time, but still taking it when the pain gets, you know, overwhelming or mm-hmm. whatever. I think his approach to it, as long as that continues, is pretty spot on.
1: Yep. Um,. How are we on time?
2: you got 20 seconds to make whatever statement you want to make to our loyal listeners.
1: Okay. Well, the only thing I want to say is I want to close with some uh, Teddy, Teddy Pentegras today. So find me some Teddy and wrap us up.
2: Sounds good. Again, we thank all of the callers who have called in today to share, everyone who has called in to listen or listened via other avenues. We definitely appreciate the continued support. We wish everybody a great rest of the week and a safe and fun weekend.
0: For this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash OCG and on Twitter at OCG You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes. Under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Some
3: day,